Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. Today's featured Actus solution is the 2020 Actus Conference, which will take place May 5th through 8th at the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas. With six educational tracks, inspirational keynotes, and unparalleled networking, you don't want to miss our lucky 13th event. And as I say that, I'm going to pause right here because um, we've been getting a number of questions related to the, uh, the COVID-19, aka coronavirus. Um, this is obviously a big deal for the nation, so I wanted to update you guys all on this before we proceed into today's podcast. So as of today, we are remaining on course to hold the Actus Conference. Um, we have been in daily, if not hourly, contact with the Mirage Hotel. The Mirage has put on some extraordinary safety measures related to cleanliness. Um, been monitoring all of the local news outlets and the guidance straight from the top from the CDC, who continue to state that domestic travel remains safe and the risk of infection relatively low. That said, we realize this is a very fluid situation. Um, I'm not blowing any smoke when we say our, the, the safety of all our attendees and our members is our number one priority. So we're going to continue to monitor this. If events change and as they change, we will keep you very closely posted. Um, I'm going to be sharing um, some statements we've made on this a little bit later on the podcast. But just want you to know we're very much aware of this. We're monitoring it. We still feel like this program um, can continue. We put a lot of planning and preparation and effort into this, including the speakers I've been featuring, such as today's uh, guest, which I'll introduce in a moment. But we are monitoring the situation. It is fluid, and we're going to keep you all posted on that. With that said, today is Wednesday, March 11th, and ours is our 145th program. And again, I do want to welcome you all to the Actus podcast. Uh, and today's topic is heart failure mortality and readmission metrics, DRG validation. I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left, Laurie Prescott. Laurie is the CDI education director for us here uh, with HD Pro and Actus. She is the lead developer and instructor for our CDI boot camps. She's a subject matter expert and a member of our CCDSO exam certification committee and the Actus advisory board. Um, Laurie's a very, very familiar face with us. Glad to have her back on the show. Recent author of our 2020 Actus pocket guide series and uh, glad to have her back on today's program. So welcome, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. Okay. And next, I'd like to introduce our today's special guest. We have with us Beth Wolf. Beth's an MD, CPC, and CCDS. She's board certified in palliative medicine, internal medicine, and clinical informatics. For the last seven years, she's worked as the medical director for health information management at Roper St. Francis Healthcare, which is a four hospital system located in South Carolina. She collaborates locally with coders, CDI specialists, and physicians to ensure the medical record reflects the patient condition and care provided. She's also a physician consultant for 3M Health Information Systems, where she helps other hospitals refine their documentation and appeals process. And she is scheduled to speak with us at the 2020 conference in May, so I want to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Beth. Thank you, Brian. All right. 
Well, as I always do, I'm going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. You should be seeing that up on your screen as we distribute it. Um, the question reads, how closely do you monitor the impact of heart failure admissions on your hospital's quality metrics? Would you say you monitor them very closely, uh, i.e. principal focus, uh, somewhat occasionally, minimally or not at all, don't know, or other? And again, please uh, please do use the chat pod here to leave your comments on today's topic. We'd love to hear from you if you have another option. So again, how closely do you monitor the impact of heart failure admissions on your hospital's quality metrics? Would you say you monitor them very closely, somewhat minimally, don't know, or other? All right, we're about, about 70% of our audience has voted. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out. And we will come back to these results in just a few minutes. Okay, as I mentioned, our uh, Dr. Beth Wolf is our special guest today. Beth, I want to welcome you to the show. You've been on the show prior. Maybe folks remember you, but thanks for being a part of the Actus podcast again. Um, so... Again, today's show is is a second in a series of episodes leading up to our 13th annual conference. Uh, Beth is scheduled to present 3:30 to 4:30 in our quality and regulatory track. But before we get kind of into the meat of your your session here, here Beth, I thought maybe you could start with an overview of the CDI program at Roper St. Francis Healthcare. Always helps to start with a little context. Maybe talk a little bit about the size and focus and and sort of how much you guys do focus on quality as a part of your of your CDI processes. Sure. Um, so I joined the team seven years ago, so I feel like I've been educated in place um, for, for a good bit of my learning. Um, we're about 600 beds, three hospitals, and we still have a presence in the, in the buildings um, that we work in. Uh, 11 full-time uh, employees, uh, CDI nurses, cover all our hospitals, and we actually cover all payers. Um, we have, obviously, a manager. We have a, a second-level reviewer um, who works uh, significantly with coding and does help with a lot of our quality and pre-bill reviews. We have two CDI who actually are stationed in our main hospital physician lounges. We have two uh, that uh, uh, physicians frequent, and they are tasked with doing a lot of uh, point-of-care education and following up on discharge queries. Um, and the other CDI do rotate through that, but spend most of their time on concurrent reviews. I think um, kind of the, our focus really has been uh, standardization and accuracy. Uh, you know, the goal is always to represent the patient's story in the codified data, which sometimes is a challenge given kind of some of the rules and guidelines that don't seem to always fit with um, kind of the clinician's perception of, of what's happening. Um, so, so I think that's kind of a nutshell um, of, of what I see. I think in terms of how much time we focus on quality, you know, it's really difficult to, to tease that out. I mean, I think, you know, um, kind of this transition from volume to value uh, has certainly impacted us. And, and it's, you know, kind of from my perspective, been built into the traditional CDI reviews, you know, with present on admission and hospital acquired conditions, as well as 
you know, the queries you're right that uh, validate complications or try to really get those accurately coded. Um, and like I said, like many others, we have pre-bill reviews for things like mortalities and, and PSI. Um, I think my focus um, as the physician advisor uh, is heavily weighted toward quality, and that was a clear realization that, you know, physicians care about actual patient outcomes. They don't necessarily care about um, how quickly they answer queries um, or, you know, what percentage of queries are placed on their chart. So um, that has been a focus for me. And fortunately, within our system, um, we've put in place dedicated subspecialty physician leadership over the past uh, year to year and a half to address quality and resource concerns. Um, and this has led to significant interest in documentation and frankly, an elevation in the importance of documentation specialists to how these outcomes are measured. Excellent. Yeah, I try to keep the poll broad because it, it, and I'll be interested to see how the results are, Beth, for how much people are actually focusing on this. So we'll see. Yeah, it, it's exciting for me to hear, Beth, how um, deeply quality is integrated in your program to the point where you can't talk about how much you focus on it because it's, it is in essence what you do. That was how I understood what you were saying. Um, I wanted to kind of switch to some of those quality measures and focus a bit on heart failure admissions. Heart failure is a heavy hitter within the within a number of the quality measures that I'm sure you're addressing. What type of penalties under pay for performance can hospitals experience related to heart failure? Um, well, heart failure is part of the value-based purchasing program. And the way that program works is that 2% of Medicare DRG-based payment is withheld by CMS each year. And you have the potential as a hospital to earn that back um, uh, and even that 2% and more. So, you know, I think we're being um, compared against our peers and our previous baseline and benchmark performance. Heart failure is a part of that. Um, it's part of the sort of the clinical content um, for mortality. It's heart failure, um, pneumonia, and MI. Um, but together, they make up probably about 25% of that, that value-based piece of the puzzle. And internally, we, um, you know, have historically not met our benchmarks in that area. I think the focus on heart failure uh, came about because we were working with the quality leadership. Um, and, you know, part of their process was to review all the readmissions and heart failure deaths, right? And so when they saw these patients with a heart failure principal diagnosis and they didn't really think they came in with a presenting symptom of heart failure or it wasn't their primary problem, that sort of triggered kind of this, um, you know, multidisciplinary uh, group that came together to really hash out, you know, are we doing this correctly? Um, you know, are we getting patients um, classified correctly so that we can measure uh, meaningful outcomes and that we can intervene appropriately? Um, so, you know, I think um, certainly there are other areas where we have excelled or where we have opportunity, but I think because of the coding nuances of heart failure and because um, I believe it was in 2016, the automatic assumption between heart failure, CKD, and hypertension um, was linked without the physicians being queried, um, you know, that created, um, you know, different issues. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Yeah. Beth. It's it's important to get your sequencing correctly, and um, I'm glad you brought that up as a focus. 
Yeah. I was wondering if we get a little more into detail on sort of what, what type of impact CDI specialists can make in these differences, uh, in these cases, excuse me. You know, are there, are there certain principal diagnoses they can clarify to get patients in the right bucket? to demonstrate the true severity of illness that did lead to these readmissions? Um, are you seeing any particular scenarios or cases? And I, I will say for the audience, I have seen Beth's slides, so I do know she's going to be including some really cool case examples um, in, her, in her presentation. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as always, the CDI specialists are sort of, you know, frontline experts um, and educators, and oftentimes physicians um, don't always know um, kind of the impact of the language that they use. And so, you know, I think that formulating appropriate and compliant queries that, um, you know, allow physicians to provide responses that can be coded in the direction that represents the patient. And again, you know, obviously not being leading, but also not being secretive um, in terms of um, identifying sort of these, I don't want to call them loopholes, but they're inconsistencies um, within kind of the coding rules and guidelines. And when I say that, I don't mean inconsistent in and of themselves, but inconsistent with kind of how our, our clinical brains work. Um, you know, so really, again, those patients that come in with end-stage renal disease, and I'll kind of pick on this, you know, um, we have conditioned or trained physicians, you know, to write acute heart failure <laughs> quite well. Um, and, and honestly, you know, I think that, that we may be, you know, slightly behind the times with that in our system. But, you know, again, just teasing out, I mean, was it really, you know, because their heart failed, there was some acute heart issue, or was it because they missed their dialysis? And, you know, how do we make sure and tease out that documentation so that if we're analyzing outcomes, um, you know, do we need to provide support for transportation to dialysis clinic, or do we need to, you know, provide funding for ACE inhibitors? You know, what it, what is the real uh, solution? And and it starts with getting patients in the right place. I love that you're saying that, Beth, because you know you're saying let's let's get the proper documentation so we get the right data so that we can improve the health of our patients. And that that's what drives physicians to want to work with us. So. Um, I love that that's your focus. Um, I believe, I haven't seen your slides yet, but I believe you're going to also talk about DRG reconciliation at your session in Las Vegas. And, you know, in my travels, some programs have um, moved away from that practice um, because it slows both the coders and the CDIs um, down, so they're concerned about productivity. Um, but you are an advocate for the process, and I think you, that you're, um, why are you an, ac an advocate for that process? Why do you see that as imp important? Um, you know, I mean, certainly um, I can answer that twofold. When I first started um, seven years ago, um, you know, we had pretty regular meetings between CDI and coding, and a lot of it focused on DRG reconciliation, those points of, of interest and contention, and, and frankly, um, you know, as a new CDI, um, it was an incredible learning tool. Um, so, you know, I think as we move into more remote settings, um, it becomes more difficult to exchange ideas. And there is a benefit to being face-to-face -face in terms of, um, you know, learning from each other and respecting each other and, um, you know, identifying, you know, where you have inconsistencies. So so that's, that's one piece of it, um, just that 
kind of relationship piece of it, um, particularly in uh, the heart failure project that we worked on, um, you know, it became, you know, a checks and balances. And, you know, I think DRG reconciliation has typically included just CDI encoders. And what we found was that, you know, we need to be rolling in these, uh, you know, clinical and quality leaders um, who are setting, you know, oper oper they're, they're essentially oper operationalizing standards of patient care and the collection of this data to drive improvement. So, you know, we have a new stakeholder <laughs> on the scene. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think uh, because of the importance of this and, you know, um, heart failure is just one example that, you know, we're going to find where there are pockets where this reconciliation becomes necessary. And it may not need to be a global, you know, every scenario, um, but to, you know, identify and flag those issues um, that have particular importance. Yeah, good. All right, good stuff, Beth. I thought maybe we could wrap up here with a a little bit of a discussion about what attendees of, of your session at the 13th Annual Conference can expect to hear from you. we got an hour on this topic. You've got some really detailed slides. Um, I guess what else can we expect and, and anything else you're excited about regarding the, the annual ACTUS Conference in general? Sure. Yeah. So I think, you know, probably what I got out of this, um, you know, there was a lot of legwork, but at the end, I wanted to create a process that allowed every member of the team to perform at their peak skill set without overlap or redundancy. You know, um, not every person needs to, you know, review the chart from, from beginning to end. One person needs to collect the data in an organized fashion so that the rest of us can assess and, and make decisions pretty quickly. So, so that was kind of my impetus and, and my purpose. Um, I think what I'm most interested in, um, I guess let me also, um, part of the, the presentation will also talk about what key information do your clinical leaders need to know about coding rules and guidelines that impact their particular field of interest and how to tease that out. Because if you don't, their eyes will gloss over and you'll lose them. Um, all right, so particularly what I'm looking forward to um, at the conference is really seeing how organizations are expanding the role of CDI to assist quality and revenue cycle initiatives. I mean, I think, you know, we've always been kind of a revenue cycle uh, program, and, and I think, you know, volume to value, we, we are going to be a quality-driven uh, program. Um, you know, how augmented intelligence, health record capabilities um, are helping with that. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And, you know, particularly all these vendors that quality uh, is using as their source of truth, um, like Premier and Vizient, how, how are CDI programs interacting with those programs, which clinicians um, seem to be very much invested in? All right. That sounds great. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Let's um let's go ahead and share the poll question on today's topic. So again, we asked folks, uh, how closely do you monitor the impact of heart failure admissions on your hospital's quality metrics? So probably some good news here for you, Beth. Uh, Thirty-eight percent, our highest bucket, largest bucket, excuse me, say very closely. It's a principal focus. Uh, Eighteen percent say it's somewhat of a focus. Thirteen percent minimal or not at all. Um, fairly large bucket, though, don't know, 27%. And then 5% say other. And I will wade into some of those other responses in just a moment. But any um, any initial thoughts here, Beth? Um, so I'm actually 
very pleased. I kind of thought I was alone <laughs> in my endeavor. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I think that um, it means that there'll be good dialogue. Um, I, I will tell you internally, um, we've had a lot of healthy debate about, you know, how to address this. And, and I think, um, you know, we'll talk about kind of, um, you know, how we've traditionally approached um, principal diagnoses that potentially equally meet the definition and how are we choosing that? And, you know, most of us have, have chosen that based on the higher relative weight, which was a completely legitimate and, and authorized uh, thing to do from Medicare's perspective. Um, but now, you know, we have another player um, and one that potentially could be uh, more financially uh, lucrative. Um, than picking the principal with the highest relative weight. Mm -hmm. So I think that it raises a lot of uh, questions, um, and um, I'm looking forward to, to dialogue with yeah. folks that are doing this. Here are some comments from our audience. So one listener says, the impact on quality is measured in another department. Um, <laughs> someone says, cardiology follows closely and interfaces with CDI encoding regarding clinical support and correct principal diagnosis selection. On very rare occasion, we're able to find another compliant principal for the case. Our CDI department do not monitor CHF readmissions, but our CHF department follows these metrics along with our quality folks. So some separation here, maybe a little more than you're, you have with your organization, Beth. Um, Someone else said heart failure acuity is factored into the SOI ROM in Maryland's APR. I always forget about poor Maryland. Poor Maryland. <laughs> However, not really applicable pertaining to quality measures in the acute rehab setting where I do CDI. Interesting. Um, yeah, someone, and finally, someone says we're under finance, not coding. The heart failure coordinator sends us cases she wants us to review, but we do not get feedback. Maybe an opportunity there to get a little more um, together on the same page with some of those other departments. Yeah, if I can put in my two cents sure. worth, the hospitals that I go to that are successful, people are stepping out of their silos. It's not who you report to, you're an overall organization. So CDI, quality, coding, everybody needs to be working together with the medical staff. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of, I, I hate when I hear we report up through this section so we don't get involved in that. Um, we all have to get involved in it. That's how you're going to be successful as an organization. Want to make sure you sequence it correctly. Sometimes it'll be heart failure, sometimes it won't. And you want to capture your severity of illness and your risk of mortality accurately. And that takes the whole team. Right. All right, good stuff. Well, at this point, we're going to switch to our In the News segment. Again, In the News is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Today, I want to discuss an article that appeared on Helio Infectious Disease News. You guys should be seeing that on your screen here, I believe. Um, title of the article is EMR Nudge Decreases Inappropriate Hospital C. difficile testing. Um, you can read the article here, as I, we always do. We'll share the links to these in our show notes at the conclusion of the program. Essentially, from this piece, an electronic medical record nudge minimized the ordering of inappropriate tests for hospital onset C. diff 
uh, which they call CDI, which I find slightly offensive, you know, because <laughs> CDI happens to be my favorite uh, profession, and here we are being associated with C. diff. But regardless, uh, this was according to a study published in Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology. Uh, in the article again, C. diff tests should be avoided on patients who recently received a laxative or stool softener and do not have a clinical syndrome suggest suggestive of C. diff says Jessica Howard Anderson, an infectious diseases fellow at Emory University School of Medicine. Uh, so essentially, um, this, this hospital has EMR interventions that alert clinicians that their patient has recently received a laxative or stool softener and thought this, they, they, uh, Emory ran uh, a test to, to, to see uh, how helpful this was in improving diagnostic stewardship for this disease. And there was some interesting findings uh, relayed here in the article. They conducted a time series analysis of hospital onset CDI test orders at four hospitals, both two years before and then two years after the implementation of this EMR intervention. They don't quite say what that was. I imagine it's some type of on-screen prompt um, the automated EMR nudge encouraged healthcare providers to cancel inappropriate CDI orders if the patient had received, again, that stool softener or laxative in the past 24 hours. Um, and this nudge made a difference. So they analyzed uh, almost 18,000 orders, 17,694. 7%, um, 8% pre intervention versus 6% post intervention were found to be inappropriate. And additionally, monthly uh, orders decreased by 21% post-intervention, post-nudge. And the post-intervention inappropriate order rate decreased over time. So they emphasized, uh, Howard Anderson here again, this uh, source emphasized the, the ease of implementation of the EMR nudge as one of its major benefits. I mean, we, we hear so much about um, EMRs and they, and Frankly, in not uh, not, I, I think many, if much of the criticism is deserved. From what I understand, a lot of folks are have had a lot of issues with Epic, Cerner, other big uh, EMRs in terms of physician use and spending a lot of time in them rather than face-to-face -face patient time. But I thought this was a nice um, kind of change of pace here, and and does show that some of the the automated systems here, and and, and in this case, the EMR nudge can actually change some practice patterns and eliminate some unnecessary testing. So worth taking a look at. Um, curious, Beth, if you had any, any thoughts on this, if this uh, aligns with anything you're seeing at Roper St. Francis or, or more broadly in the industry. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, we typically kind of refer to them as clinical decision support um, when they come into the EHR. Um, I will tell you, nudges aren't always perceived as helpful. Um, I kind of think of the query as the <laughs> primary example of a nudge. Um, right. You know, I think regardless of our intentions, um, you know, I'll just kind of focus on the query since that's my world. You know, it can feel somewhat patronizing or even manipulative. And, you know, I think there has to be an awareness of that. Um, you know, whether it's putting together a sepsis alert or, you know, antibiotic stewardship pop-ups or nudges. Um, what we found um, with queries is that, you know, transparency of purpose is key. 
um, co-creation of content. So, you know, um, for us, standardizing definitions for high-value diagnoses. For our institution, you know, agreeing upon, um, you know, what sepsis screening criteria we're going to use and then testing it, um, you know, within the electronic record to make sure we're not getting too many, you know, false positives. Um, the other piece of this puzzle that I think um, is so important um, when we do these nudges, and I think they're going to continue, is to make sure they're within our thought flow, so they come at the right time and they present the right information, but they're also workflow compatible. And, you know, what do I mean by that? Well, if you pop up that this patient might have sepsis, you better put the information I need to see, but then give me the capability to place orders and construct a note within that nudge so that I don't have to go different places. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think there's work to be done, but I think, again, being uh, collaborative, co-creating. Um, and then again, when we're part of the co-creation, um, we change our behavior. We become, you know, um, you know, more intellectual about the process. And so, you know, just, having that engagement will change outcomes. Um, the other piece of it that we've used is, um, you know, dashboards, some sort of constructive framing that um, provides um, positive feedback, but not necessarily um, that personal uh, feeling of manipulation when it's about a specific patient or situation. Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks, Beth. Any comments here, Laurie? Um, yeah, I was nodding as Beth was talking. I think that the only thing that I like to caution the whole industry with is the EMR is a tool, and it's supposed to be a tool to help our providers. And, you know, one nudge may work, um, but, you know, what's what we don't want is to be nudging the physician for every little thing. And I think when you find that it in one instance, the first the first response of everybody involved is, oh, we can use this for situation B, C, and D as well. And we need to be considerate. Um, the providers can't get patient care done if we're constantly nudging them. Um, so we have to we have to do this with critical thought and a little balance um, and realize that the EHR is a tool and sometimes the tool is right for one situation and sometimes it's not for another. Right. So just think think about things. So a nudge, but not a not a nudge. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, wanted to wrap up here briefly with uh, Actus Update. So Actus Update is a regular feature bringing you the latest news on what's going on inside uh, of Actus. So as you know, I've been steadily highlighting the amazing speaker sessions and venue at the 2020 Actus National Conference. But I also want to let our listeners know that we have begun preparations for uh, the 2020 Actus Symposium Outpatient CDI, which will be held November 12th and 13th, end of the year, uh, at a beautiful uh, resort, the Scottsdale Resort at McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, if you are involved in outpatient CDI, would like to share your knowledge in a more intimate setting. We, we, we get about 250 to 270 attendees at the symposium and would like to attend the conference free of charge. Consi can consider applying to speak at the symposium. We're looking for sessions on all aspects of outpatient CDI with an emphasis on return of investment, getting started, uh, clinical coding quality and reimbursement focus sessions, technology, really all aspects of outpatient CDI. We've got two tracks, a management track and a clinical coding track. These are some suggested 
sessions. This is not all inclusive. We do welcome original ideas, but we are, again, just recently opened up the applications uh, for the outpatient symposium. So again, I will provide a, a link to this in the show notes at the end of the show, uh, but we are um, currently uh, about to, to get underway with the planning for this event. All right. Well, that will do it for today's edition of the Actus podcast. We're going to see you back here again in just under two weeks, uh, Tuesday, April 24th. We're moving the next show up one day um, for uh, AMI algorithm and adjudication. Again, more on our quality focus, CDI focus for quality impact. Uh, as a reminder, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play or Spotify. The recordings um, are available the Friday following the live show. And again, all the links we discussed during today's show will be available on the show page at actus.org and also in the show notes on your podcast player. If you have any suggestions, future guests, ideas about the format of the show, please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it. Take care. I again, want to thank Beth Wolf for joining us today as well as Laurie, and we'll see you guys back here again in two weeks. Take care, everyone.